Well, welcome to this first podcast that we're doing um, as the Australian Presbyterian, uh, in interviewing key people in our denomination. Uh, today I have a special guest with me and a long-term friend of mine, actually, um, Mrs. Carmelina Reid, who is also the Dean of Women at Christ College. Welcome, Carmelina. Welcome. Gee, it's a long time since I've been called Mrs. Carmelina Reid. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Especially by you. I should just call you Carmi, but <laughs> yeah, I thought Carmi's I'd be fine. a little bit formal to no. start off with. Okay. Now, there'd be a lot of people out there that already know you, you're very well known, you've um, Probably one of the leading, I guess, um, women no. speakers <laughs> in evangelicalism in Australia, at least. Um, tell us a little bit about your conversion. How did you first come to Christ? Mm. Well, many years ago now, um, I'm, let's see, 53. So when I was 15 was about the time that I became a Christian. But it started when I was four and the little girl across the road, whose parents still live across the road from my parents' house, mm. uh, she was three. And we met and I could only speak Italian and she could only speak Arabic. Neither of us had learnt English yet because we weren't at school. And uh, we met and we used to play dollies together. And then we went all through school together and we still keep in touch. And uh, she would often talk to me about Jesus. Um, and I was quite open to talking about Jesus. My parents were Roman Catholics and I used to go to church regularly. Um, I think the turning point came when... It was actually very difficult living in two cultures. So at home, it was a very traditional Italian home, only child. Parents were very strict, uh, not allowed to let me out of the house, especially because I was a girl and am a girl. And um, I, I just found that really, really difficult. And then, of course, the Aussie culture at school. And um, I just found life very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And uh, Elaine would continually invite me to Bible study at her church, invite me to her church, to youth group, but my parents wouldn't let me go. Mm. So eventually she said, uh, why don't I come over and we'll study the Bible together? And I had never really held a Bible in my hands to read for myself because that was what the priest did at church. And uh, Elaine loved my mum's pizzas, homemade pizzas, so I can still vividly remember sitting on my uh, vinyl, you know those vinyl beanbags we yeah. used to have in those days. My yep. mum made us our favourite pizza. And for the very first time, I opened up the Bible and we just, just decided to start somewhere really easy. We, we chose the book of Romans and uh, <laughs> off we went. Okay. Yes, and I just remember the penny dropping. It was as if the words on the page had come alive and I remember realising, wow, Jesus has fully paid the price for my sin. Because up until then, I used to have this constant existential kind of dilemma of mm. I didn't – I knew – it didn't take much for me to work this out, and hopefully most people are like this. I just knew that I was not good enough to go to heaven. Mm. But somehow I didn't want to believe that I was bad enough to go to hell. Mm. Um, but I didn't know what the answer was. Like I, I would seriously go to confession on a Friday night in order to take communion on a Sunday. I would try to say my rosary, but I always fell asleep after about the third one. Um, and I just had no certainty, no assurance. But then as I read the words in Romans, mm. there is now therefore no condemnation, just came alive. And uh, I decided to put my trust fully in, G in Jesus. Unfortunately, my parents banned me from attending um, a Protestant church. They still grew up in that Roman Catholic era mm. where anything Protestant was evil. Yeah. And they were seriously not happy with me reading the Bible. Interestingly, not because it was Protestant in their minds, but mm. because they associated it with the Jehovah's Witnesses because mm. they used to do all the door knocking and speak to my mum and mm. bring the watchtower. Is it the watchtower? They yeah, did the watchtower? No, yeah. So, yes, I used to read the Bible in secret. 
Mm. Um, and then when I went to university, that was really the time when I was able to freely join a Bible study group during uni hours. Mm. And uh, really that's where I think my Christian walk really flourished. Yeah, uni can be a massive turning point for people. Mm. It exposes you to a whole plethora of different mm-hmm. worldviews. Mm. Um, how was your worldview challenged when you were at uh, university? And what did you study, by the way? I studied law, arts law, and uh, I did a double major um, I did law and then I did anthropology oh. and um, my thesis was, <laughs> you probably don't want to know this, but my thesis was on um, multi- multiculturalism and the test case of female circumcision. I had heard about this go. because I did a degree in anthropology as <laughs> well. There you go. And that was one of the first things I ever found out about you. Oh, there you go. Mm. Well, now I bored you to tears and no, told you again. <laughs> no, that's actually a really important yeah. case study. Yeah. yeah. But worldviews. Yes. How was your worldview challenged when you went to university? Well, in one sense, it was both challenged and also uh, led me down a path of kind of comfort. And in fact, it started in high school. I had some teachers who, you know, if you've ever seen the the show Looking for Alibrandi, I don't mm. know, you know, these it's Italian girls. Yeah, yeah. That so was you? That was me in many ways, although I was not promiscuous like she was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so even at school, I had teachers who took a real interest in me mm. and could see that I was really keen to learn and so they, they, they opened me up to these worlds through literature and history and so on. And so I'd already caught a whiff of, wow, there's a world out there that thinks differently. And you've got to understand the context. The context is, although my dad was a champion of women because I was his only child, he wanted me to go to university, but he caught so much flack from all my uncles who said, it's a waste of money to educate a girl. Uh, don't give her music lessons a waste of money because she's just going to get married and have kids and stay at home. Mm. My dad was outraged by that. So I had a champion in one sense, but he was also a very dominant Italian male. Mm. And I could see in all this Italian culture, although everyone talks about Italian culture having this, you know, wonderful food and parties, but it's got an ugly side. And the ugly side is, um, you know, the domineering kind of male that's there that's often unloving Mm. in in their uh, headship. And so uh, as I read books and explored other ways of thinking, I came into contact with all sorts of, thi- all sorts of ways of thinking, including feminism. By the time I did anthropology, I would say that I thought, I would seriously say um, men are the cause of most evil in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I really started to head down that track. And it, and it, it influenced the way that I read the Bible as well. Uh, so I saw the Bible is very patriarchal mm. and very anti-women. And, uh, yeah, that, so feminism in one sense was comforting because I knew someone out there was championing women, mm. but it was also really a time of great turmoil for me because as I continued to read this book that had brought me so much joy, I then found a clash mm. with feminism and also... Uh, with what other people were teaching me in, in, in various, you know, Christian circles. So, so what changed? Because I remember when I first <laughs> oh, here we go, the embarrassing you. stories. I know. I was at <laughs> more college. And, um, I, I knew your husband. He was mm. in the same year as me. And mm. I remember being first introduced to this fiery <laughs> Italian young yeah, woman. Yeah, now I'm too old to be fiery. I know. Uh, now you just got the red lipstick. Mm. But what changed in you? Yeah, look, I, I would still say I'm fiery, but um, and, and you know, pa- at least passionate, passionate. Mm. passionate. You know, I think all 
all personality traits, right, have their weak side yeah. and their strong side and we've got to temper everything with holiness and godliness and mm. the Bible talks about that. Yeah. But I would say that um, I think the biggest shift, if I'll just to put it simply, is not that I'm no longer a champion for women mm. and I still strongly believe we need to champion those who are vulnerable, and it's not just women, but particularly women in domestic violence situations. Mm. Yep. However, I think the change has been two. One is that I think I had assumed that I needed to re, re change, like reinterpret the Bible, so that I could not make it patriarchal and still believe it. Mm. You know. Yep. But then when I went to college, I had some really wonderful teachers, men and women. And they said to me, you've, you've just got to try and actually come from the perspective that God is good and kind and is mm. on your side and read the scriptures in that light. And that did me a world of good. Mm. Um, Who first said that to you? Uh, I think Peter Jensen first said that to me. Mm. And uh, Philip Jensen said the same thing. Mark Thompson said the same thing. Peter Bolt said the same thing. Um, you know, Jeff and... Jeff Reed. Yes. Um, but, you know, really in very loving ways. And I think mm. the beauty is that they didn't treat me like a stupid woman. Mm. And I think that's, that's you know, I, I've had conversations with John McLean and Ian Smith along the same lines that, mm. you know, they encourage me to express my views mm. and to also dig deep into the scriptures. And I think that was the wonderful thing about learning Greek and Hebrew uh, that that I could just actually go. Well, what I what do I think the scriptures are saying? Not that I think you need to learn Greek or Hebrew. I think the translations mm. are very accurate for yeah. us. But I was in that kind of environment where I could safely explore without anyone calling me a heretic, mm. and also that they the men that I was surrounded with were secure, so they didn't mind people like you. Mm. You know, you didn't mind me going. No, but I think that's wrong. You know, mm. um, because you you were happy. You trusted that I I. I had the right intentions, right? Mm. And I, I think there's so much value in allowing women and men room to just explore the scriptures and not assume that they're heretics or that they're mm. pro-abortion or pro-whatever, you know? Mm. So they gave me room to explore the scriptures. And I think I ultimately, uh, as I read them, came down to God, God loves women. And um, anything that is there that I struggle mm. with, I actually need to work out, is the issue me? Or is the issue God? <laughs> and, mm. of course, it's always going to be me and my yeah. interpretation, right? So that was the first thing. And the, the second thing that changed, and this actually didn't change straight away. Mm. It's still being formulated. And I think if I had more time in my life, more money to, you know, study and do whatever, mm. I think these are the kinds of issues I would explore in more study. And that is, as I've heard the various debates about domestic violence, and, I, and I'm really grateful that uh, the church needs to address where it's gone wrong. Mm. Um, and I think what I've learned is, and what I'm becoming more convinced of, is that the church needs to be seen not just as the champion of biblical roles for men and women, mm. but as the champion for the vulnerable, all vulnerable, whether it be people with a disability or whether it be a man who's being beaten, although in most instances it's women and children. Mm. And I think we've probably not been seen as the champions and, um, you know, just today I was on the phone um, with a kind of distant relative uh, who was telling me she's being beaten up by her husband. Mm. And, and I said, well, what can we do to help? And she said, well, no, because my stepson, every time I leave, he wants me to come back. And, you know, that's a really difficult conversation to have, you know. Mm. And 
she knows I'm a Christian, and so mm. I've got to, I've got to, I can walk away from that conversation if I want to, but I can't. Yeah, because you've been in pastoral ministry for over twenty years with your mm. husband Jeff at Chatswood Presbyterian mm. Church. To, uh, step us through what does it help? What does it look like to help people that are vulnerable on a pastoral level, on a local level? Look, I have to say we haven't had huge amounts of domestic violence to deal with, but we've had all sorts of pastoral issues. And, do you know, I, I think one of the biggest things you can do is, I mean, I think when someone's life is in danger, when there's mandatory reporting, yep. you've got no choice, yeah, right? you just got to step in and that person's safety is paramount, yep. right? I only renewed my breaking the silence training yesterday, so it's all fresh <laughs> in my mind again. Uh, you don't have a choice and silence is not an option, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it's the, it's the argy-bargy of life, the mm. sinfulness of life, the murkiness of life, the, yeah. you know, marriage problems. I think the biggest thing you can do is long-term commitment to people mm. and walking beside them. You can't always fix people's problems, yeah. but you can do small acts of kindness. Uh, you can keep praying for them. And I think it's it's... One of the best things, I think, is to invest in people long term. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of having been at the same church for more than 20 years. Mm. Of course, you can get stale. Of course, it can get toxic. But I don't think we're at that stage. And I think it's just the long term history through the seasons of life with mm. people that's extremely helpful. Mm. So you've not only had a long term fruitful and faithful ministry at Chatswood, but you've also got wider ministries in the church. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Can I just go back into that yeah, sure. conversation? Um, I think where I was also heading with the being champions um, for vulnerable people, especially you know women and domestic violence, um, I think another thing that I think needs more exploration mm. and um, maybe the men and the women who are theologically minded, you know, like theologians, can, can explore this is that I think we often look for answers to problems like domestic violence outside the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if um, God's been caught out mm -hmm. by surprise. Like, yeah. oh, he set up this system. Oh, and look, it's got this pitfall. You know, mm -hmm. women are abused in it. Yeah. But I actually think the Bible addresses all those things. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, Ephesians 5 says... The husband, who is meant to be, however you take your interpretation, the leader, mm. the head, he's meant to love his wife as he loves his own body. Mm. You can't love someone like your own body if you're beating them up. Like, surely we need to hammer it from the scriptures themselves. Yeah. Or if one Peter says, um, you know, wives submit, and then it says husbands. In the same way. Yes, She's the weaker vessel, and mm. I think weaker doesn't just mean that she's physically yeah. weaker, yeah. but that she's in the vulnerable position of submitting to you. He yeah. says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Now, yeah. we make nothing of that. And, of course, of course that doesn't mean, husband, we're not, God's not listening to your prayers and we do nothing else. Of course we call the police. Of course we get them out of the house. Of course we do all those breaking the silence kind of things. Mm. But we also, from the Bible, show God's abhorrence. Mm. And you think about that. The whole of the Christian message is about mm. reconciliation between God and people. To then be told, you might be saved, but I'm not going to heed your prayers. Mm. That is a significant warning from God that we don't make much of. And it would seem to me that as a pastor myself, as a, uh, we need to keep men in particular accountable to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and conversations need to be happening. It needs to be said from the front. Mm. And, um, you, know, I th you know, contextually, if 
if people are worried about the fact that we've harped on too much about mm. women submitting, it's because it's come out of a context, hasn't it, where mm. there was, you know, when I first went to college, the big argument was egalitarians versus complementarians. You know, it was right. sort of out there and four corners were doing interviews and all, all sorts of stuff was happening. So now if we're seen as harping on too much about that now, we need to answer the criticism of that maybe – our male preachers have not been hard enough on this, that we've not been seen mm. to go, listen, you men, you need to come to me if this is happening. I don't want to hear it from your wife. I want to hear it first from you. You've got to come and say to me it's happening. And if I hear it from your wife, I'm going to come down heavy. Well, not with violence, obviously. Mm. I've just mm. slammed my fist because I'm passionate. But, yeah, I just, you know, I, I just feel that we need to, from the Bible and Scriptures, show people that God is not... In favour of domestic violence. Really what you're saying is headship is about really protecting the vulnerable, isn't it? Absolutely. Leadership is about service and it's about sacrifice. Yes. Particularly to those that, Mm. like the Bible talks about, are weaker or Mm. vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you for that. It's excellent. No, it's a a much needed emphasis that we need Mm. to keep on emphasising. Um. I want to step back uh, a little bit uh, and talk about your wider ministry, which actually involves this as well. One of your roles um, is the Dean of Women at Christ College mm. um, the, and you run a special program called MTW, mm. Ministry to Women. Do you want to talk us a little bit about that? Sure, love to. Um, yeah, so uh, Ministry Training for Women is running for over 10 years now mm. and um, it's really, it's, it's a specifically designed course that was introduced in order to enable any woman uh, a Christian woman, obviously, mm. to do the course. And it's it's designed f- flexibly so that mm-hmm. it's 10 Mondays uh, throughout two years, so 10 Mondays per year uh, from 10.30 to 1pm. Mm. And uh, it covers it, – it's not sort of like doing an introduction to New Testament or an introduction to Old Testament. Okay. It does some basics like okay. biblical theology, uh, what is ministry – uh, then it does some basics of women in church history, which mm-hmm. the women all seem to really love, and it really opens the, their eyes okay. to seeing that women have been involved in ministry in all sorts of so formats. So give me an example. What have been some of the really inspiring examples that you that you look at? Oh, well, if you look at some of the wives of the reformers, uh, reformers like um, Katerina von Bora, mm-hmm. I mean, you, she might not have had a role as in, you know, assistant to Martin Luther, mm. but far out she had a an amazing ministry mm. and we often downplay those kinds of yeah. you know there were there were there were women who were writers who mm. actually had correspondence with Luther and Zwingli and mm. um Susanna Wesley Susanna Wesley mm. with her especially with her tea towel over her head yeah. while she prayed and and the fact that she actually educated her children mm. with the understanding that if I teach my girls mm. and my boys mm. to read they will be able to read the word of God mm. and you know, that's not often known by a lot of the women. Mm. Um, so we do quite a bit of church history and uh, women as missionaries as well. I get them to read book reviews. Then we do, mm. um, you know, sort of fundamental ministry subjects like reading the Bible one-to-one, mm. uh, starting a women's ministry in your church. Um, oh, we do hammer in on biblical theology. I think mm. that's probably one of the areas of greatest uh, weakness. Uh, how to care for people Oh, you just uh, stop on grief. that. Yes. Because uh, I've had a few women go through the course from my church and they've said how much they appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm intrigued. <laughs> you mentioned biblical theology. Mm. Do you want to unpack that a little bit more? So what do I mean by it or yeah. what do I think the weakness is? 
Both. Yeah. So just seeing that the whole of the Bible is about Jesus. Mm. And, of course, the, the, the greatest area of weakness, at least when I'm marking their, their assignments, mm. is in the Old Testament. And um, just the, the struggle they have to pull a verse or a passage or a psalm from the New Testament and, and see how Jesus mm. shapes it or refines it or um, mm. fulfills it. Yeah. Um, and, and often what they do is they, they look at that Old Testament passage and apply it directly without mm. understanding the context. Yeah. And I would say that over and over again, that's the biggest weakness so in our churches. you're stepping them through that, yes. that process. Yes. Mm. And the beauty of the course is that um, although it's pass-fail, uh, so we don't give percentage marks, which mm. I think is probably good for their mental health and all <laughs> people's mental health, um, I give quite detailed feedback. So yeah. I often give them individual feedback on their assignments and I get them to think about those kinds of things. I also mm. get them to do writing a Bible study, mm. um, how to care for people who are grieving, self-care and how the sovereignty of God comes into ministry. So it sounds very practical as yes. well as pastoral, as well yes. as, you know, biblical theological. Yeah, all of it, the whole package. But, you know, I would mm. say it's not in-depth, but yeah. I've often seen women do the course mm. and then go on to do other courses at college. So it's inspired them to do more. Absolutely. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've seen women come to the course and English is their second language and they've done no ministry and then at the end of MTW they've gone and taught scripture in schools. Wow. I'm like, oh, far out. I don't even have the guts to teach scripture most of the time, you know. <laughs> it's pretty scary, right? But, you know, just wonderful ministry opportunities and, and confidence in reading the scriptures and also growth in their love of Jesus, I think. You know, it's the most important thing. Now, is this all. something that you have to live in New South Wales to come and well, do? Well, very good question, Mark. So you used to. And for years I've had inquiries about can we mm. offer it online. Uh, there's only one of me. And so it's often been hard to do the two modes and we've never offered it. But because of COVID, mm. uh, after the second lecture mm. last semester, we had to go online, Zoom. Mm. And now because we've got students doing it from Newcastle and Melbourne... Well, okay. we've decided to offer it online. So in one sense, it's it's a bit of a trial. Mm. But the hope is that if it's popular, and we've already had inquiries from all sorts of people, Tasmania and Melbourne and um, mm. regional New South Wales, it's it's uh, online this semester. And if you go to the website, mm. look up MTW, uh, people can email me, cread at christcollege.edu.au. Okay. And, um, yeah, they can enrol. The first class is the 27th of July. Cost? And cost? Look, cost should never be an issue. The colleges have always been absolutely okay. uh, committed and it partly depends what level you do it at. Um, okay. But I think it's a... I think go to the website to get the accurate details, but it's highly affordable. If you're the wife of a candidate or a minister, then we give... Uh, significant uh, discounts. And I think if, mm. if there are hardship issues, then the college has always been extremely generous. It shouldn't be the thing that stops you and doing it. And what sort of time commitment are people looking at if they enrol? So uh, the lectures are 10.30 to 1, and we're going to be doing them by Zoom. And it's worked beautifully last semester because what it means is that people, I can put them all into breakout rooms mm. and they can talk and get to know the other women mm. and have smaller group discussion. Mm. And... Um, it's they're the lecture times, but then it's really up to the students. So mm. if a student, if all they could manage is that time mm. and the set reading, and I only ever set one book per semester, okay. um, then it's a very manageable course. But if you've got the energy and, you know, the Zoom, so to speak, to go <laughs> further, mm. then they can, you know, and they can also audit. Uh, okay. That's a very reduced cost. Right. I encourage women not to audit because I think you get more yeah. out of it. 
Because yep. the assignments that I said are reflective. Um, yep. So it's getting you to reflect you on what you've learned. Yes, and also there's it. a mentoring component. Okay. So um, they can still do the mentoring component if they're auditing, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a bit more formalised if they're not. So they need to meet with someone one-to-one and uh, read the Bible each mm-hmm. time they meet and pray and then explore two topics together. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So, like, if there was – I'm sure there'd be people out there right now watching this that think, oh, I'm intrigued, I'm interested. If they could say – if they're just sitting on the edge thinking, oh, should I, shouldn't I, why, what would you say that would say – make them want to think, oh, I should commit to doing it? Look, every person, man or woman – should be thinking harder about the Bible because it's how mm. God reveals himself. It's relational, right? Mm. And women are no exception to that. So, you know, if I could run it for men, I would, but it's for women. Mm. And I think it will help you no matter what your stage in life is. A mum of little children, a worker, uh, married or not married, grandmother, caring for someone, whatever stage of life you're at. I even think it would be really good for um, women at university. Um, I think whatever stage of life, it'll push you to Mm. keep being equipped to serve Jesus. It'll grow you in your confidence and your skills. And I think it'll triple your ministry, basically. Of course, that's under the sovereign care of God, but it will triple your ministry. I think at the end Mm. of of the course, most women say to me, oh, there's so much ministry to do, and they're more confident to do it as well. Fantastic. So it's all there on the website. Yes. Just go to the Christ College website. Yes. um, Find the ministry tab, Ministry for Women. Yes, so it'll be under study, Mm -hmm. and and then look for ministry training. If you have any problems, just email the registrar or email me. Okay. And um, you'll be able to see a course outline. There is one other component, which is if someone's looking to do an MTS apprenticeship, so Ministry Training Scheme Apprenticeship, they need to do some of the – um, subjects that come with that, mm-hmm. uh, but then they can do MTW as one of those courses and do the ministry apprenticeship as well. Okay. Um, and for that, mm-hmm. you can go Good. to the MTS um, website because then you get the portal and you raise a certain amount of funds to, to do that apprenticeship. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, you are a very busy woman because <laughs> you're a mum of four, yep. right? Um, you're a pastor's wife, uh-huh. you're also running MTW, yep. but you're also a very gifted speaker in your own right and you are with Equip Women. Mm-hmm. Now, there'd be some people out there that might not be aware of Equip. Do you want to just give us a quick um, overview of what is Equip, mm-hmm. what does it do, what mm-hmm. does it, um, uh, when does it meet? Well, uh, it started about 20 years ago now and it started with the terrible acronym of UK. Uh, We used to be called the Young Evangelical Women's Conference, but then as we got older, we needed to change the name. Um, But basically, we're a bunch of friends. Uh, That's now extended to uh, we've tried to get younger women involved in the executive. And uh, we run three conferences at the moment. One is the main uh, May conference or June conference that's been held mostly at Darling Harbour, where we've had, I guess, up to 4,000, 5,000 women That's come incredible. to it. A few mm. years ago, uh, we started the teens uh, version mm. of that. And so the, the young girls from year um, 7 to 11 are able to come with their mm. mums or with a friend. And uh, they have um, dedicated teaching for them as well. This year, of course, it couldn't happen live. Mm. Uh, so we did Equip at Home and we got our biggest numbers ever. I know. Our church yes, was involved right. in that and they yeah. loved it yeah, because they not, just did it yeah. in house groups. Yes, right. They like had little house, literally mm. house parties. Yeah. And they, they thought, I, I think, actually, I shouldn't tell you this, but they may not go back to the <laughs> other way of doing it. They found it actually better this way. Yeah, I think we've got lots of decisions to make for the future. But... Um, Oh, the beauty, like the teens, um, we're restricted mm. to only less than 200 because 
you know, like mm. hiring out venues is it's just a massive cost. Mm. But we had more than 400 teens this year, close wow. to 500 teens. And uh, I think we had close to 3,000 or 4,000, I can't remember now, 4,000 mm. women. So, And it's not that it's about numbers, but it, it's so many women said things like this. So this year it was on 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, the resurrection, mm. eternity. I can't believe just how many women were helped in their understanding of eternity. Like, mm. for example, right. I used to think that when I'm resurrected, it'll be spiritual. But mm. now I understand it's physical. I go, wow, isn't that amazing? I now understand that my work for the Lord has value into eternity. I guess mm. we take it for granted that yeah. we've believed it for so often. but mm. And just the ripple effects that it has. It's great. Both for assurance and ministry. Anyway, that's one of the conferences and we've got big decisions. Appreciate mm. your prayers for future years. Mm. Um, and you can look us up at equip.org.au. We also run one for Ministry Wives in March. Mm-hmm. That also went live stream this year. And I think it's just a great opportunity for Ministry Wives to be encouraged. And, of course, they're the sort of women we should be inputting into mm. because, you know, they play such a vital role. And, again, because it's online, it doesn't matter yes. where people are that's in right. the country, they can access this. That's right, and even overseas, yeah. Wow. And uh, then we run one for leaders, so women who are leaders. And it's it, it, that doesn't mean that you're employed or that you have a formal role mm. or that you're paid, but anyone involved. And so I usually take a team from my church mm. and uh, we go and hang out for three days residential, of course. This year, it's most likely that we're not going to do it residentially, mm. um, but... We haven't made final decisions on that, so stay tuned okay. on that one. Um, what do you think is unique about Equip as a ministry? Like, There's other women's conferences, you mm. know, colour conference yeah. that's really popular. What makes Equip unique? Well, first of all, um, we, were, we were the first probably bigger evangelical women's, so even before Women's Katoomba Convention mm. we started, and from the very beginning, we've taken the view that we're going to do it exegetically. So we're going to start mm. at the beginning of a book and we're going to go to the end of the book. So we've just mm. finished 1, Corin- uh, 1 Corinthians. That's mm. right. And um, You'd also done Esther. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we, have, we did one year where we did, um, you know, women uh, in the New Testament. But mm. mostly it's been exegetical. So I think mm. that makes us unique because I don't know of any other women's conferences that year after year after year after year keep working through books of the Bible. Yeah. We we also are pretty rigorous in uh, who we allow on the platform and also the fact that every talk gets listened to and fed back, like we give mm. feedback on it. Um, and also that we're raising up a whole new generation of women. So mm. we're, we're not just keen on, you know, hogging the platform for ourselves. We're mm. keen to raise up. And so you know, three of the women, two of the women who spoke this year, mm-hmm. uh, I call them younger because they are younger, um, but also in terms of the committee, like lots of women who come onto the committee mm-hmm. and then like one of them's, for example, back in Ireland now mm-hmm. and the amount of conferences that have actually duplicated from Equip um, has has been wonderful and I think another really unique thing is that we're working really hard to get all the generations mm. there and mm. so it hasn't become an old woman's conference yeah. it's not just a young woman's conference yeah. and um, I think we're we're also pretty um, you know overtly I'm going to use the term complementarian mm-hmm. in that um, we're keen to model and to teach and not shy away from what it means to be a woman uh, who is also a Christian? Because um, I, you know, I, it's not that I believe you should have women's Bibles, like some have said. Mm. I mean, you can finish your freedom, as far mm. as I'm concerned. But I don't think you have to. Mm. But it's not as if the, the Bible doesn't address women. Mm. It's not as if God doesn't 
God doesn't care about me as gender neutral. He cares about me as a woman and he cares about you as a man. And, of course, there's overlap. Like, we're both humans. Mm. We're both Christians, of course. Mm. But um, And I think the conference takes that into account. But it doesn't mean that you pull it out of the passage if it's not there. Mm. But your application is in addressing women specifically. Mm. Yeah. So, so just to piggyback on that or mm. springboard off it, um, the differences in roles in men and women in the local church, you know, in some ways people would see that as very controversial. Mm. What are some of the, the positive opportunities that you've seen developing in the church over the last 20 to 25 years? I mean, I think the fact that I went to Bible college, not that, not that it's a development that Carmelina went to Bible college. I mean, it is because they accepted me. But, but actually just that over the years so many women mm. have been theologically trained and that that's mm. been received warmly. And I, I remember so clearly uh, Peter Jensen at college saying with tears in his eyes that uh, he found it very discouraging when he heard people discouraging women from being theologically trained. There's mm. so much... Uh, good in women thinking theologically, right? Mm. And so, and 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 of course, not everyone can go to Bible college. But the drip effect of that, the domino effect of that, is that if you have some women trained, then their job should not be to do the ministry. Their job should be to train everyone else to think theologically. Mm. And I think I've seen that in our churches. I think we've seen a movement away from the big events in our churches that okay. um, are, are geared towards, you know, the decorations and the activity that you do to, like, we don't we do not do any of those anymore. We just teach the Bible, teach the Bible. So I think mm. I've seen a growing confidence in teaching the Bible and mm. reading the Bible and that the Bible is able to change. It's the power source for changing people for the better, you know. Mm. Not, not that I mean that in like a self-help kind of thing, but just that God's at work. People out there listening to this and thinking, oh, I've often thought about going to Bible college. What benefit do you think you get from, you know, giving a couple of years at least of your life to studying the Bible full time? How can it not be useful mm. to study the very word of God? Mm. Like it doesn't mean that everyone should become a minister. Mm. It doesn't mean that everyone should go into full-time ministry. Mm. It doesn't even mean that you should take on a specific role in your church. Your yep. life circumstances might not enable you to do that. Um you know, there are all a myriad of reasons why. Mm. But how can it not be useful to spend two years reading and studying and digging deeper? There's a book by David Mathis on the mm. disciplines of grace. Mm. And one thing I really love that he says in the first few chapters is that we often take the view with reading the Bible that we're raking leaves. When mm. you rake leaves, it's very superficial. The view that we need to have is that we dig deep for gold, mm. right? And digging deep for gold requires work. And... You know, going to, to Bible college just means, okay, I'm going to forsake a whole stack of other things that I could be doing. Mm. I might forsake money mm. because of doing it. I might even forsake my career. I could put it on hold. I mean, I think, of course, you need to take into account your life circumstances. You shouldn't neglect your children or your husband or your elderly mum, as I've got mm. at the moment. You shouldn't neglect your responsibilities to do this. But if you've got the time, you've got the money, then why not study God's word? Mm. I mean, I couldn't think of anything better. I'd love to do it all the time you know yeah, it'd be yeah, just yeah. so wonderful and of course not with the view of building myself up not with the view of I'm attaining knowledge but with the view of my goodness this God who loves me this savior who died for me how can I not want to know him better and his precious people and the lost how can I use what I learn so that the saints can grow more in whatever 
influence you have on them in your local setting and how can I reach the lost better? How can Mm. I – I've just read, you know, um, Seeking uh, Allah – no, Seeking Seeking Allah, Allah, Finding finding Jesus, Jesus, right? Mm. And, you know, like it's just my lawyer brain, the apologetics that go Mm. on there. I go, wow, wouldn't it be great if someone could just – his friend who took him through all the apologies, you know, mm. women often don't have confidence to do that kind of apologetics and yet MTW might not take you all the way there but I just think if you get the taste for it mm. and you're given certain skills like hermeneutical skills, you know, inter- rules of reading and interpreting the Bible, if you're taught to read the Bible one-to-one with someone, mm. far out, if anyone ever says to me I don't have anything to do during the day, Come to me. I'll just give you a list of people you could read the Bible with. Yeah, I couldn't fantastic. think of anything more exciting. And right? that's one of the great things MTW does again, mm. doesn't it? Mm. Is it's really equipping and training women um, to do more and more ministry in yep. the local church. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That's the aim. The aim is it's not to be in competition with the local church. Mm. We're to be seen as a partner with the local church. So, yeah. you know, ministers have sometimes called me and said, well, you know, what? what's this woman going to get out of it? And I go... Are you kidding me? Like, mm. she's going to be an asset for you in whatever her gift set is and her skills are, mm. put her to work, you know, yeah, and, and secure ministers will do that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today. My pleasure. It's excellent. And if you want to find out more about MTW, please head to the Christ College website. It's christcollege.edu.au. Um, yes. Um, and you can find MTW online. Thanks a lot again. Pleasure. Uh, and we look forward to actually having you again in the future. And I'd talk love a bit to. More. He didn't even give me a cup of coffee. <laughs> Thanks very much. See ya.